Good morning, Calvary. How are you guys? <laughs> oh, it is good to be with you guys. Um, hello, welcome. For those of you I haven't met, like Aaron said, my name is Matt Hempill. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to uh, my amazing family. Everything I get to do, I get to do because of the people around me. So this is my uh, wonderful wife, Erin, uh, formerly Erin O'Brien, who uh, the O'Brien family is a bit legendary here at Calvary. And so I have had the privilege of being married to Erin for the past 10 years. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary in May. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That is my almost soon-to-be five-year-old daughter, Jameson, my newly-turned three-year-old, Georgia, and we are six months pregnant with our future child. So this is a little bit about my family. <clears throat> What's special is Aaron and I, we grew up going to Calvary. Uh, this is the place that we fell in love with Jesus. Uh, we used to sit right there during elevation services, for those of you who remember elevation. Uh, we went to Hume Lake here. We went on short-term mission trips. We were part of the youth ministries. This is home for us. Uh, we, get, we were so excited to circle this date on the calendar as an opportunity to come back home. So thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Um, like Aaron said, nine years ago, a group of us planted a church out from Calvary. Uh, we meet in the city of Tustin all the way, like Aaron said, from the city of Tustin, right near Foothill High School. And it has been a wonderful experience. But like I said, I'm glad to be here with you guys today. So you are a few weeks in to your series called Life with God, which is taking a closer look at the spiritual practices that God, through his scripture, has laid out for us. And I get the privilege of talking to you guys today about the spiritual practice of Sabbath. Now... In order for us to cover this well, and I believe even before we can go into the specifics, there's some groundwork that has to be laid. So bear with me. I want to almost just do a little prep work before we even enter into the Sabbath-specific conversation. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. This is where we're going to be as we lay down some of the foundation for today. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 1. I'm reading from the NLT. So if any of you are reading your Bible on your phones or tablets and you want to switch over and follow word for word. Genesis chapter 2. Because it's really important that we understand this key theme if we're going to receive the Sabbath with the appropriate eyes. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 says this, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished from his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Sorry if I'm a little bit behind. This verse 4 is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. So stop right here. Most of us are familiar with this idea that God rested 
after he created the heavens and the earth, right? This is pretty much Bible school, Sunday school 101. But you know what's the question I don't feel like we ask or consider enough? Why did God rest? Was he actually tired? Was he burnt out? Was he stressed? Or was he modeling something for his kids? We're at that stage right now, Aaron and I, where we're trying to teach our girls how to responsibly cross the street. And so every single time we walk to DK Donuts in Tustin, which is our Saturday tradition, and every time we get ready to cross that crosswalk, I grab my girls' hands and I say, all right, girls, this is what we got to do. We got to look left, we got to look right, and we got to look left. And I do this exaggerated motion. Do I do that for me? Do I need to look left, look right, and look left before crossing the street? Or am I doing that for my girls? I'm modeling it. I'm doing an exaggerated effort to make it clear to them this is essential. Guys, Genesis chapter 2, God resting, this is his exaggerated left, right, left. He's doing this not for his own purposes. He is doing this to make it abundantly clear to us, his children, this is important. So God, he rests. But the creation story is not even done here. I want to spend a few seconds longer. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Go one page back. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. There's something interesting in here. It says, then God, Genesis 1, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Look at this line. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. So the Jewish people have interpreted this verse to mean that each day begins with night first. So according to Jewish tradition, when the third star comes out in the evening, that's the start of the new day. And they get that from this passage right here, that evening came, morning passed, evening passed, morning came, and that marked the first day, which is really different than the way we interpret the day, right? The start of the day starts when we slap our alarm clock and get up out of our bed. We get a jump on the day. We start early on our day. But for the Jewish people, the first thing that they are to do each and every day is to sleep. The start of their new day begins with rest. And from eight hours of rest, they then work. Because, see, they are understanding that in the scriptures there's a theme here, and that is rest is good and rest is essential. To the point that they revolve their calendars around this idea that rest actually comes before work. Let's continue this theme a little bit. Let's see how it plays out in Jesus' ministry. You don't have to turn there. Look at Luke chapter 5. Luke 5 verse 15 says this. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. Look at this verse. Luke 5 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. 
Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes, right? There are people being healed of diseases. There are people hearing about the kingdom of God. There are people whose lives are transforming. And Jesus hits a big time out and says, I got to go. I got to go. Can you imagine the criticism that he must have faced? Are you so selfish, Jesus? There's sick people. There's people who need to hear the word of God. We've been waiting 400 years. We've been waiting. You're going to go and have a little spiritual retreat in the woods? You're going to go have a little camp in the wilderness by yourself? And Jesus says, yes. I'm not above my father. If my father rested, we see Jesus resting. And he does it often. It's a major theme in the ministry of Jesus that rest is good and essential. We see that in creation. We see that in the ministry of Jesus. Let's go one more example. Mark chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. Verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Verse 31, he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So his apostles come back. They're telling Jesus all the great things. You got to imagine they're ready to double down, go back out, hit another ministry tour. And Jesus says, great guys. Hey, what do we got to do? We got to rest. We got to slow down. From creation to Jesus' ministry himself, to even his commands to his apostles. What do we see? Rest is good and rest is essential. Look at this quote from John Mark Comer. It says, work and rest. They live in a symbiotic relationship. If you don't learn how to rest well, you will never learn how to work well and vice versa. After all, the opposite of work isn't rest, it's sleep. Work and rest are friends, not enemies. They are bride and groom who come together to make a full, well-rounded life. I hope that what you are picking up on is this biblical theme that rest is good and rest is essential. But here's what I'd say. Despite this being pretty clear in the Bible... And despite it being strung through the entire book, I think those of us, most of us in the church, we struggle to believe it. I think most of us fall into one or two camps. Are you ready? There are those of us in here, we fall into camp one and we are workaholics. We work at home, we work in our office, we work in the car. We work on the weekends. We work at our child's sports games. We might have even checked our email in between the second songs of worship. <laughs> of course not. None of you would do that. Many of us in the church are addicted to work. Say, rest is for the weak. Rest is for the lazy man. Rest is for those who aren't gifted like I am. Rest is for those who aren't as tough and disciplined as I am. I will work. I will rest when I am dead. 
Look at this quote. <laughs> Look at this quote from Corey Tenboom. If the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. Because the reality is, is the life of a workaholic is not the flourishing life that God has. And the workaholic's path is going to end in burnout and destruction. But not all of us fall into camp one. There's a whole nother section of the church where we're not workaholics. We are really good at relaxing. Our society, we love to relax, right? We are encouraged to binge watch entire series of shows in a 48-hour span. Am I right? right? We are encouraged at the end of the night to have multiple glasses of wine to take the edge off. Turn that news on for three or four hours. It's good to help you wind down. Plan that next vacation. Yeah, live for the next trip. Go ahead and dream about that. Avoid the present and just look forward to that next break. Right? We love to relax. But relaxing, that's not resting either. Because relaxing is mostly just numbing. I was one of those kids where I grew up, bless my mom and dad's heart. Thankfully, neither of them are here. I'm going to throw them under the bus right now. But my parents' cabinets, we were stocked with sugary cereals. Can I get an amen for the sugary cereal kids? I'm talking Captain Crunch, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Cocoa Puffs, Reese's, like I can go down the list. My friends loved spending the night at my house because it was glorious for them. And thankfully, I think as a kid, right, God builds kids so resilient. I didn't feel it as much then, but I kid you not, if I have a bowl of sugary cereal right now at 8 o'clock, 8.30, I'm hungry again. Am I right? Like a half hour later, like, what happened? That is relaxing. I'm just going to be honest, right? We, we binge watch, we indulge, we consume. And for about 45 minutes after, we feel it. And then it wears off. And we find ourselves empty again. We need to move away from the workaholic. We need to move away from the relaxaholic. That's even a word. And we need to learn to rest. I like this quote. No matter how much you love your job or fine-tune your work-life balance, by the end of the week, you're tired. This is a reality. Your fuel cells are empty, but rest refills us with energy, creativity, vision, strength, optimism, buoyancy, clarity, and hope. Here's the line. Rest is life-giving. Let me hear you repeat that with me again. Ready? Rest is life-giving. 
It provides energy. It's the protein shake in the morning, right? For the health nuts out there, right? You mix in some Greek yogurt, maybe a little bit of honey, acai, all the other things that I wasn't raised on. You have a protein shake. You feel good throughout the day because why? Something like that is life giving. It sustains you for what you have ahead. That is rest. And that is what the Bible tells us over and over again. It is good and it is essential. My hope before even diving into Sabbath was to kind of build that foundation. Are you with me so far? Rest is good. It is essential. It is repeated throughout the Bible. We see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lifting up rest as something to be embraced. Now, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? For many of us, myself included, growing up in Protestant or evangelical churches, this word was not talked about. What is the Sabbath? The simplest definition that I want to give today is it is an entire day devoted towards resting. Say that again. What is the Sabbath? It is an entire day devoted towards resting. Amen. One of you is tracking with me. I'll take the... (laughs) It's an entire day devoted. It is not a day for productivity. It's not a day to get caught up on all the tasks you didn't finish throughout the week. It's not a day to give you a head start on the upcoming week. It's not a day to get rid of all the chores that you've been putting off. It is a 24-hour period devoted towards rest, refilling your soul, engaging in activities that give life so that we can follow the footsteps of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I was excited when Eric asked if I would speak on the Sabbath, because this was something Aaron and I, we stepped into about four years ago. And I I think we would both agree that it was one of the best decisions that we have made as a family. Uh, It has given us something to look forward to every week. It has been something that has sustained us through the ups and downs of our ministry. It has been something that has been quite transformative in our life. But let me also tell you, there were some bumps and bruises in the beginning. Because, and some of you are sitting in the chair going, Matt, rest and life-giving, it's very ambiguous. Uh, they're, they're, They're nice terms, but they're quite vague. And what we found out really quickly was what was restful and life-giving for me may or may not be restful and life-giving for her. Now, I will confess this. Those who attend New Life know this. I love rules. Are there any other rule followers out there? Yeah, I am a Pharisee in recovery. Hi, I'm Matt. Nice to meet you. I have a few years now. I I go on and off the wagon. I love rules. I love them. The more, the better. I understand the cry of the Pharisees' hearts to define the Sabbath with rules upon rules upon rules because that helps me. And yet, 
You want to know the quickest way to turn a life-giving day into a terrible day? It is to impose a bunch of your rules onto somebody else. And that's what I would do. When we got excited about starting the Sabbath, I just began to get out my notepad and journal and start making all these rules. And then I would put them on her. And that day went south quickly. Let's just say that. And this is why even the history of Christianity, the 2,000 years, we as the church, we've struggled with the Sabbath because we either, we either put too many rules or we just leave it completely alone because it's so vague we'd rather not touch it. And I really believe in what Calvary is doing. I love that Calvary values health. I love that Calvary is having this conversation because I believe there's a better medium where the pendulum should swing. So rather than give you guys a set of rules, can I offer some guides? It's like, it's like a softer way of saying rules. Can I get some guides? Is that allowed? Or is that my old self coming out? Okay, I hope it was allowed. Use some guides for how to Sabbath well and potentially how to engage in some of these life-giving, restful activities. Here's the first thing I would say. A guide for Sabbath activities is intentionality. Let me explain. Our best Sabbaths, my wife and I's, are when we plan the day before about what we're going to do. So let me give you an example. Right, when we talk about the day before, hey, what kind of meals do we want to make together? We then go to the store, we pick out the ingredients together, and we say, tomorrow night we're going to cook these together it's a really life-giving experience. We put on fun music. Our girls lay in the front room drawing, and her and I cook together. That's life-giving. It's the opposite when it's our Sabbath time, and we go, what do we want to eat? And we just open up the cupboard, and we see what we have. And then we end up maybe fighting because we didn't know who wanted what. We have nothing there. We get frustrated. A lack of intentionality was the difference between a life-giving activity and a life-draining activity. Let me give you another idea, right? Let's say the day before you and your family decide together, we want to watch a movie together. Great, I'm not going to ban that. There's no rule against that. I'd hope that you would be intentional the day before rather than have everybody sitting together and you're just scrolling through Netflix, arguing over what to watch. The difference, the, the medium's the same. It's both entertainment on the TV, but there's an intentionality behind it. Are you guys picking up? Right? Maybe you decide tomorrow after church, let's go out to lunch with this couple from Calvary. You put some intentionality into it, and it's beautiful. Versus church ending and you and your spouse or you and your roommate or just you and yourself going, what am I going to do today? Intentionality is a great guide to truly allow the Sabbath to refill you. Let me give you another one. Sabbath activities should be unique. Meaning the, the, the day that you step into Sabbath, it should look differently than the previous six. Aaron Holm brought this up at our staff meeting this week, and it was great, right? If you are somebody who is constantly inside in the office working, or just you're inside with your family, a great Sabbath activity would be to get outside, take a walk, 
Go to the beach. Watch a sunset because it's unique to the previous six days. You might be somebody who is extroverted. And throughout your week, you are constantly with people. You're constantly in meetings. You're always engaging. A Sabbath to you that's life-giving might be one where there's more solitude, more silence, like Eric talked about, because that's unique. If your day-to-day life requires quite a bit of physical exertion, you're working with your hands, you're lifting, you're squatting, you're building, your Sabbath might seem a lot like resting, laying down, actually taking a nap. Good for you because it's unique. Oftentimes we rationalize with ourselves, no, this, this what I'm doing is really life-giving, but we do it seven other days. We're constantly doing that. Your Sabbath should look different, right? If you're on your phone six days a week, you're constantly involved with technology. It could be a great step to try to have a day where you put that away. You turn off your phone. You make a commitment with your spouse or your family. We're not going to watch TV while we eat dinner because it's unique. The last guide that I would say is that less is more when it comes to a healthy Sabbath. So even if you go, okay, so Matt, I'm tracking. I got to be intentional. And Matt, I'm tracking with you. It should be unique. If you're like me, I can then build my Sabbath from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. with unique and intentional ideas. Like, honey, isn't this great? On the hour, every hour, we got some unique and intentional activity. No, 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 no. Less is more. I'm not going to prescribe a number of activities. I'm not going to max or cap you out at two or three, right? You can figure that out. But as a general rule, less is more. Was that too bad? How, how, how strict the rules were those? Right? Hopefully that's just guides. But here's what I'd say. As we rest well, And as we step into the Sabbath, two things happen. I'll end with this. The first is you will be surprised at how your soul has more life to give. The the Sabbath is actually a great way to love your neighbor because often we don't want to serve. We don't want to invite that person over We don't want to read scripture with somebody. We don't want to go help watch their kids or bring them a meal because we're just exhausted. And yes, I love that the Sabbath has incredible benefits for the self, but I truly believe the main Sabbath benefits give you such a full cup that you're ready to give that life away. Your neighbors, your family, your church fellow brothers and sisters will feel the effects of you Sabbathing well because it gives God the opportunity to fill you up so then you can pour it out. But there's something else that happens when we rest and Sabbath well. And that is we point to a different type of rest than a physical one. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6.
Hebrews 4, verse 6 says this. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Verse 7. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is when? Today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Verse 8. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest... God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. Look at verse 9. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Remember that term, a special rest. Verse 10. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. Right? Linking it to Genesis, the story we read. Look at verse 11. We'll end with this. So let us do our best to enter that special rest, that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. So what is this special rest that the author is hinting at? What is this rest that was different and unique than the Sabbath physical rest that was given to the Israelites many years before? What is this special rest? It is the ability to rest from having to earn God's love and approval. Let me say that again. The special rest that each and every one of us are being given right here and now today is we get to rest from trying to earn God's love and approval. What is the gospel that we proclaim? It is that we do not work and strive and earn our way to God, but that salvation is a gift, that Christ himself came down for us, that he gives us his robe of righteousness. We simply receive. The gospel message is a story of rest. None of us earned our status as sons and daughters. We rest from our labors and efforts to try to grasp that. That that is a, a nutshell explanation of the gospel. So here's my question. If that's the message that we proclaim every Sunday, if that's the message that we plant our flag on, then why do our lives tell such conflicting stories? Let me say it again. If we believe we are people who inside our souls have been transformed by a gospel message of rest, why do our physical lives tell such a conflicting narrative? Because if you were just an outsider looking at the life of those in the church and they see our busy workaholic, we see all of our striving and earning, trying to be efficient and our hustling, our grinding, our judgment towards those who rest, our disdain for those who don't have our enemy. If you were an outsider and you simply saw the way we lived, you would conclude, wow, their religion must really prioritize earning and striving. And yet we don't. We exalt a gospel message of rest. 
And so what I want to encourage us is what if we aligned our stories? What if our spiritual lives and our physical lives, instead of telling conflicting narratives, aligned and told one cohesive story? That from a place of rest, after we've received, by no effort or merit of our own, from then we go out and change the world. Like Genesis chapter 2, after we've slept a full eight hours, then we'll get to our tasks. I think the church's witness would be more effective if we stepped into a weekly Sabbath because our stories would align. And our neighbors would take notice. They'd get curious. And I believe they'd say, tell me more, because your life looks different. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all of you, Calvary, New Life, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Here is my challenge. Some of you, right in here, I'm calling you to step into a full 24-hour period of rest. Not just sleeping, not laying horizontal, simply being intentional with your activities and trying to orchestrate them around life-giving principles in the name of Jesus. But for some, that seems like climbing Mount Everest. And so I simply want to invite some of you to take baby steps. What would it look like for you to carve out a few hours, just a few hours that are unique, intentional, and life-giving? What would it look like for some of you to just start doing one activity that is life-giving on the weekend? One break from the chores that replaces it with a meal with your sister. One less TV show for a walk with the Lord. Some of you are ready to go full speed and some of you are ready to take baby steps. And guess what? The Lord is pleased with both. He says in Zephaniah, do not despise the small things for the Lord loves to see the work begin. My prayer today was that we would see the consistent theme of rest as good and essential. And we would see the Sabbath as a way to step into it. And that we would be excited about not only the effects that it'll have on us, the effects that it'll have on our neighbors and the church's witness as a whole. I want Calvary, my home, my family, to be a church that tells one story, not conflicting narratives, one story about the grace of God. And I think Sabbath is a great way to start. God, we thank you for this gift of rest. We thank you for the gospel, which is a restful message that we do not earn these robes. We do not earn this status as sons and daughters. We simply receive it. And so, Lord, right now, as we're already, the, the enemy is maybe planting ideas and reasons for why this isn't for us. I just pray that your voice would speak the loudest right now. That our Father, our Abba, our Good Shepherd's voice would cut through the lies and would begin to lead us. For you are a shepherd that leads us into green pastures and beside still waters. You are a Sabbath-loving God. 
And so show us, Lord, what this looks like as sons and daughters to step into it for our sake and the world around us. You guys, we're going to sing this song right here. And it is a beautiful song that the worship team prepared. It's called Not in a Hurry. And the essence of this song is that often our walk with Jesus and our walk with the Lord is slowed down and Sabbath-like. So if you are familiar with this song, please join in. And if you are not, allow this song to be sung over you as you invite the Lord to give you pictures and images of what it could look like for you to Sabbath well. Let us worship.